0: The metaverse for me feels like it's set up for failure. Like a lot of what we've seen out there seems like a repeat of things that are have already kind of petered out or not really been that successful. When I saw Zuckerberg's demo of the future of the metaverse and he showed two people sitting down virtually playing chess with each other. I was like, we're not thinking big enough like this is like I was doing that on AOL in 1997.
1: Welcome to the NFT Now Podcast.
0: Every Wednesday, we speak with trailblazing artists, collectors, and technologists about how NFTs are redefining the creative economy and how you
1: can be a part. I'm Sam Heisel. I'm Alejandro Navia. And I'm Matt Medved, and we're on a mission to empower the creators of culture.
0: Welcome to the show.
1: Alejandro, how are we doing? Dude. Doing amazing, Matt. Just super excited to be here. Who do we have on today? Really special guest. We have Kevin Rose, previously co-founder of Dig, Zero, Oak, um, you know, a really savvy investor, uh, currently partner at True Ventures, which is a VC firm focused on early stage tech startups. And he's the founder of Proof Collective, where he took his Proof podcast. And turned it into an incredibly successful NFT project, you know, a private group of of about a thousand dedicated NFT collectors and artists. And it's been amazing to see it blossom. You know, the floor for the Proof membership pass is currently at 68 East. And they have a ton of interesting things in the works. Yeah, including um, their upcoming Moonbirds uh, project, which we'll dig into. What excites you about this conversation, Ale?
2: And I'm really excited to hear about his transition from the Web2 world into the Web3, his intentionality on building community and the value add that he is consistently bringing. I'm also really energized around what he's thinking about the future of NFTs and Web3 look like, because I know he's a very big proponent of innovation and pushing the ball envelope.
1: 100%. 100%. Really excited to dive into it. Uh, before we do, I uh, just want to remind you to check out our newsletter. You can sign up at nftnow.com. Each week, we, we distill everything that's happening in NFT space into actionable insights for you so you can keep a finger on the pulse. Without any further ado, Kevin Rose. Kevin, how's it going, man? Glad to have you on the NFT Now podcast.
0: Thanks for having me. This is going to be fun.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And no, I, I know you got a lot of exciting things in the works, and uh, really, really looking forward to diving into it. For for those of our listeners who are who are you know uh, who don't know, why don't we just chat a little bit about your backstory and your introduction to NFTs and how you kind of made your journey into Web three?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, honestly, by mistake, well, I think with a lot of us, I I was very lucky, right time, right time, right place to be there when the CryptoPunks originally launched, and I got picked up ten of them. Um, and it was just because a buddy was like, "You should check this out," you know. And then I immediately forgot about the wallet. Years went by, and did a mad scramble to be like, "Okay, these things are now worth a few thousand dollars a piece. I should look and see if I can find them again," you know. And so I know a lot of people have a very similar story with like with all things crypto. It's just like, you know, you go in, you're a geek, you you kick the tires of something, you play around, and and then you wake up a few years later, and it's uh they're valuable. So. That was the initial kind of just, this exists, this is a technology to be aware of. And then CryptoKitties, obviously, I paid attention to that. And then kind of just lost track of where things were going until a little over a year ago. And it wasn't until, I, you know, the DeFi stuff I was still paying attention to. That was fascinating to watch that whole DeFi summer and all that be built up. And that was more of my focus. And then really it was when ArtBlock's launched that I was like okay this is interesting this is something that um I should really see how the market has matured since I last checked in and and that was looking at all the new exchanges that had launched and uh checking out super rare for the first time and uh, finding some of these like digital first artists that were launching on there and seeing some of the AI art that was being produced like so many things where had happened since I had kind of closed my eyes, and 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 when, when I woke up, I was like, "Wow, this is this is a movement now. This is turning into a movement."
2: That's really, really awesome. And like, it's like I love the accidental coming into the into the marketplace and like being like the scramble. Like, oh my god, let's get it done. In terms of like being accidental into the market, you're you're incredibly intentional around your current offerings of of the proof collective what was the inspiration and the concept behind that one of those things where for me podcasting actually has been something that
0: has always led to a bunch of great friendships and eventually into investments as well so back in the day it was you know having the founders twitter on there and that led to my you know investments in that and square and a few other things and it was just a great networking tool um and so when I started getting interested in NFTs, I was like, well, let's let's launch a podcast dedicated to NFTs called Proof, and I'll get to meet a lot of these artists, you know? So I just had a bunch of great artists like Snowfro on back in the day before those things blew up, and, you know, Tyler Hobbs when the floors were next to nothing, and, you know, all of these artists that I just had heard great things about, um, and that was the thinking there, is like, let's just get involved that way. Um, But then the podcast really started to grow and kind of exceeded my expectations, to be honest. I really didn't think there was going to be that many people that cared about NFTs that quickly. And it was partially because we launched during like when things were really starting to take off and there was a lot of attention on it from a price standpoint. And so, you know, we went from 10 to 20 to 50,000 to 100,000 to 150,000 listeners. And I was like, wow, this is a big show now. You know, when you're approaching those numbers, anytime you break 100K in listeners, it starts to get interesting on a, on a handful of fronts, but I realized like there's got to be something that we can do with this community that we all can benefit from as as people that are really into NFTs. And it was clear that DAOs were such a fa- fantastic structure for people coming together, but a lot of people were kind of priced out in the participation of those. Like the Flamingo DAO sold out instantly. I had to wait six months yeah. to get into Flamingo. When I did, it was. A very kind of pricey entry point to get in. and But I love the conversation that was happening there behind the scenes. And these people were finding this the best projects. and They were cutting through all the garbage. Like when anyone is armed with Photoshop that can launch an NFT, there's always going to be just a bunch to sort through, right? And we only have so many hours a day on Discord before we go crazy. And so I, I quickly realized, like, let's bring together a subset of the proof community To be those eyes and ears on the ground, looking at all the latest projects, telling us which ones to pay attention to. And the thinking there was just to create a little private Discord membership around people that were really serious about NFT collecting. And that's when we launched the Proof Collective, which was a thousand NFTs um, for some of the most hardcore collectors out there.
1: Yeah, no, it's, it makes a ton of sense. I love the how like the podcast kind of like opens up all these different new worlds and and, bringing, and tying those things together. You know, it's it's amazing. You know, the proof collective membership house has reached a 6080 floor, which is you know a really incredible achievement. Uh, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on like what factors you think have contributed most to its success. Great questions. You know, honestly, I, I had
0: no clue that it would ever reach this this price. It, it's I'm as shocked as most people out there, and I think it's because you know when we started the the auction, it was a Dutch auction. It started at five ETH and it it sold. Out at one ETH. I was just at that time. I had like a ten or so myself, and I was just selling them to friends at one ETH, and just kind of like thought, oh, if I ever need another one, I'll just buy one off the open market, you know. I and so I I only actually hold one proof collective pass. Which is like, in retrospect, I'm like, why did I, it was my thing. I should have had at least more than one, right? So
2: <laughs> yeah, this is one of those ones that got away from me, bro. I, I'd i be honest. Like, I remember watching it when it was four, four ETH on the Dutch auction. And I walked away and I was like, you know what? Let me, let me come back to it. I'll get back. And you know how the space is. You get bombarded yeah. with something else. Next thing I know, I think it was like a month and a half later, it was a 28th floor. And I was just like, oh, my broken heart.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's I had a buddy sell his and he's like, he's like, he's like, dude, he's like, this is actually truly going to put a roof on my house. Like, he's like, don't be pissed. I'm like, I would never be pissed. Like, it's with meaningful money when it gets to those prices. It's crazy but but to answer your question about why I think it's grown it's because we've put together a real team around it. Like it's not just a discord. It, it has we've hired professionals that are full-time that are working on building out a lot of the projects that we want to launch under that brand. And so, you know, we launched Grails which was a pretty good success and a lot there was a lot of attention on that particular project. Um we announced our NFT conference is coming next year which I hired Ryan Carson, who is the COO now, and he ran some of the largest Web2 conferences called Future of Web Apps back in the Web2 days and puts on a world-class events. And so just the event, the quality of the events that we're going to launch under his guidance is just going to be unbelievable. And then, you know, we we have a team of uh, folks. I'm going to say it's probably going to be, by the end of this year, we're guessing it'll probably be 30 or so people working on just taking the proceeds that we've raised and reinvesting it and making it even better and better. So in in the proof collective in many ways, like if you think about what exists in the stock world, in the stock world, there are professional organizations that do nothing but gather data and create really in-depth research reports, right? Um, you can think like Forrester Research or some of the other bigger names out there. We wanna be that for NFTs. We wanna have curation with a point of view and really give people the in-depth information they need to make decisions around what to collect and which artists to pay attention to. And so it's that combined with some of the things that we're building on our own, like our own PFP project and our own unique take on the metaverse, which is a very loaded term that I don't really love, but something that we're exploring um, that we'll be launching. So it's, it's, they know, I I think that the, the, the reason the prices have climbed is because, they look at the team and they see seasoned product builders, people that have delivered consumer products at scale to millions of people in the past, and they think, well, they're definitely going to build something. Uh, it won't just be, you know, a rug or something or a roadmap that just never sees the light of day, you know.
2: Yeah, and I appreciate that. And that brings me up to a really great question because, like, it's—I believe it's only a thousand memberships, correct? All right, so it, that's an incredibly intimate community, right? Like, how do you balance the co- maintaining the collective small? And while also to create, it, grow,ing its influence and its products, right? Like you're saying, like individuals who have grown products before to the to uh to at scale, but balancing that intimacy, it's almost like a paradox. Can you like can you dive into that?
0: Yeah, for sure. We think of the Proof Collective as the most hardcore NFT collectors, and it is walled off. The Discord, that that version of the Proof Discord, is is going to be walled off. It's token gated. And so those research reports that we're talking about, the, the full—we're hiring three full-time analysts that are that are writing these research reports. The early access to the podcasts, some of the more intimate, like salons that we're throwing with some of the bigger artists out there, the, the which will be in real-life events. All of that is for the Proof Collective. So we plan on keeping that community tight, and those those resources just for that that organization. So there's no plans on expansion there. The expansion comes. In the world of the metaverse, in the world of Moonbirds, our 10K PFP, that's where we add additional channels to the Discord that are also token-gated for those specific communities. But they have very different value propositions in terms of why people are coming there um, and what what
1: they actually unlock. Makes total sense. Let's dig into Moonbirds a bit. Tell us a bit about the project. What's the mission behind it? And uh, yeah, all the details.
0: We realized that one of the things that we love to do most internally at Proof is play and experiment with what's possible and what can be done. And when we look at all of the PFP projects that are out there, some of them have done some really amazing things. Like when I first got my first vial of serum for being a Board 8 member... Um, I thought that was really interesting. And it was just a unique take on how to kind of morph and evolve and expand the project even further. Some of the interesting mechanics around burning to create newer editions, or, you know, th- there's there's been a lot that's done, but then there's also a ton of blue ocean. So for us, we think if we're going to create another PFP, it's not just going to be an art project. Yes, it's going to be beautiful art um and but we also want to uh, what we do best is community and utility associated with the community and we want to leverage those strengths into this PFP project so what's going to happen is essentially we have these 10,000 birds these moon birds and the two things that we're announcing immediately are a way to nest the actual birds so nesting is essentially um, flipping a little switch on the smart contract to prevents the bird from being sold it'll actually fail at a transaction uh, but it doesn't leave your wallet, which is interesting. So it's still self-custody on that side, which is nice. And then um, we can calculate and figure out how long you've held that birds. Like how how your diamond hands or diamond wings is like the joke we say internally. How, how long have you held those for? And what's your current streak? And that allows us to subdivide the community and provide additional benefits for the people that are really engaged and committed. Like, so... It really mimics a lot of the things that we already see existing in the pre-existing kind of rewards world out there. Like if you think about higher status of, of tiers at credit cards or airline miles or whatever they may be, it's based on your loyalty to those particular brands. And so for us, that gives us that capital to provide even better benefits for people that are more loyal and very unique ones. So. You know, for example, and I'm just throwing out a couple random examples. We have a a moonbird that has a glitch attribute. Uh, it's called the the glitch bird, and we haven't unveiled the artwork for it yet, but it looks amazing. And if you if you lock up and you nest that glitch bird, uh, there is a lot of glitch artists that we are friends with that will do specific airdrops, very small in size, but just to the people that have locked up and done that with the with the moonbirds community. And so we're actually going in in the a lot of these projects a lot of PFP projects they love turnover. They love turnover because it gives them royalties. That's how they make money. And so projects aren't incentivized to keep things locked up and to have less turnover. Like that's not our MO here. Like what we want to do is we want to actually flip that and say we care about loyalty and about like your your commitment to the community and about creating a lasting durable community of people that get to hang out in real life and people so we've got all of these plans around the unlocks that come with that community and come with that commitment and some really unique things that we can do another one is we have this little space helmet moonbird and you know we know some folks over at the uh the the SpaceX organization I was lucky enough to have Elon on my podcast uh, a few years ago and you can imagine if you're nesting that particular bird and and granted, I'm just throwing these out where we have yet to finalize all of the attribute the final reward structure. But there would be a a yearly trip to SpaceX to either watch a launch or do a tour of the facility. or so it's like that kind of playing that we want to do both in real world and airdrops that is unique. it was It was very strange to me that for as many amazing things that the board apes have done, the one thing that I felt a little bit odd was that, You could buy a board ape the day before they did their coin drop and get the same amount of coins as someone that was like held it since day one. And that just seemed like not really a fair distribution model. And, and so we're, we're playing with, with what, that, what, what that means. And, and that's kind of our, our, our moment to go out and try new things and see what sticks and see what works. And, and we're product builders. So that's what we love to do most.
1: I love that. I love that. You know, I, another thing, you know, kind of a conscious decision that you made around, around Moonbridge, I know Moonbirds does not have an allow list. Um, you, you mentioned that on, on Twitter, sort of like that was a conscious choice to promote inclusion. I'm curious to hear your, your thoughts about how you feel like the current climate with NFT projects is flawed in that regard. And, and what might be able to be done to fix that. It's tough. It's,
0: it's, it's tough because it, it's tempting because as a project creator and when you're creating something new for the NFT space, um, a lot of the emphasis is on does the collection sell out, especially in the PFP space, right? It's like, does my collection sell out? Because that... If it doesn't, that's a poor signal and people tend to run away from those. And, you know, people are buying them for the art, but they're also buying them for the investment side. You know, it's like buying a, a, a series of baseball cards or comic books or whatever it may be. It's like you love it, but you also want to see it appreciate in value. And I, I think that this idea of inviting in allow lists, and and, and this is also kind of uh, we're, we're stepping on our own toes here and that we, the proof collective does, is allowed to mint to Moonbird's. Um, so we are allowing our community in, but largely because they're the ones that got us here and they're the ones that provide us, us capital to even go off and build this thing. Um, but outside of that, we had a lot of different projects that came to us and said, hey, can you allow our community in? It's really enticing to say, let's allow in the board Apes because we know they have deep, deep pockets and they'll pay the highest p- possible premium for ours, you know? And and and, But it's, I don't know. I just, I felt like, Let's just make this a, a, is the best we can outside of the proof community. Let's make it like give everyone an equal shot. So um, I, I I'm I'm not hating on people that do that because it certainly helps people sell their projects to do these collaborations and allow lists with other communities. I think I don't think it's an unhealthy thing. It's just that with such a small amount of available PFPs that we're selling, and and we know there's a decent amount of demand on the other side of it. I would hate to exclude certain people and only allow in a few lists if that makes sense.
2: Yeah, it makes absolute sense, but I'd love to double down on this. How are you guys like making sure that bots don't run this, right? Like botting is a very real issue, right?
0: hundred percent. And that's why we, our partners on the smart contract side are Divergence, some of the most skilled in the business. Aaron, the head developer is the dual, he's the uh, ex-tenure senior engineer at Google. Uh, Dual MD, PhD, um, was one of the first to do uh, fully on-chain rendering engines in Solidity, just like one of the most insane engineers I've ever met in my life. Um, We had this conversation a few weeks ago, and I specifically went and spun up a a Google instance and Google Cloud uh, Compute to help him. He's basically building out the antibody infrastructure behind the scenes. And we'll do a whole debrief and blog post post launch on what we did on the anti-botting side. We can't announce that ahead of time because it'll give bots the time to go and figure it out. But um, but it's something we take very seriously. Like I would rather sell out at a lower price. I mean, we're doing max two per wallet. Obviously, there's an easy way around that. Like anyone can create unlimited right. wallets. But um, you know, it's 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 there's no silver bullet here on how to protect against that. It's like, can you stay one step ahead of them for 10 minutes? Like, cause they'll quickly dig into your contracts and see everything that's going on and figure ways around it. And, you know, when I was talking to Aaron over divergence, he's like, this this game at this point is we don't we release it, get it out there, and then they they're gonna try and reverse engineer it as fast as they possibly can. And you just have to hope that your tech is like. You know, just a step above, uh, for it, but they w- eventually will figure it out, and they'll figure out how to do this. And you know, and you know it. what
2: this reminds me of, like in the scene in, um, in the Matrix when they have to like shut down the ship because the like the bugs are gonna come in, like 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 that. That's how I envision you telling us, like the bots are gonna cry, yeah yeah, like yeah, you gotta kill the power for a second. So like, essentially, your smart contract is the equivalent of shutting down the power in the matrix so that the bugs kind of don't fly and there's like a limited window before they actually figure it out or something along those
0: lines. Right, exactly. And so he, the question we had the other day was, um, how tight do we want to call it until we actually deploy the contract? Like what day do we want to deploy the contract so people can see some of the, because some of that will be tight. They'll be front-end antibody, but a lot of it is at the contract level. As you know, people like engineers talk directly with the contract when they're doing this. And he's like, you know, we want to kind of wait to the last possible second before deploying this so that we can
1: actually, you know, give us the best odds at preventing a lot of the botting. Makes total sense. And it, it's great to hear how, how intentional and, and thoughtful you're, you're, you're being about it. You know, I'd love to hear your thoughts, too. Like, what have been some of the biggest lessons you've learned from launching Proof Collective that you're kind of applying now as you as you uh, sort of write its next chapter?
0: There's a few things. One, it's that we have a, a zero tolerance policy. Um, we sp- uh, specifically wrote in the terms of use that even though you hold a Proof Collective pass, that does not guarantee you access to our Discord. It does in that they can just come in and they can auth in and they'll, they'll be a member. But we have the right to to, to kick them out. And we, like all the different things you can imagine, the big offenders around racism, around sexism, you know, like all that behavior is like completely, um, we we protect against that. And we do it in a a non, we do it in a volunteer way and also a non-volunteer way. We hire full-time moderators that are on salary so that they are actively in there and they have a deep vested interest in caring for this community. Um, You know, Support channels, help channels. There's people in all different areas of their journey of NFT collecting. Um, We actually have some people that bought this for as their very first NFT, and they're they're just here to learn. So you know, there's no bad questions or dumb questions. We've had people say, you know, I I I bought a ledger and I have no clue what I'm doing here. Help me figure this out. Like, so there's a ton of things that we want to provide in terms of education as well um, to help bring everyone along for the ride. But um, I think it's just for me, it's been let's not let's let's wow people with the amount of resources and and products that we're building rather than over promise and, and under deliver or yeah, over promise and under deliver. So that's been a kind of a big um, core principle that we have internally is like, uh, let's l- let's just uh, we might need to overstaff a little bit, but I'd rather overstaff than have um problems if that makes sense
2: i just want to transition the conversation over to more of your investor hat days you know like you are an incredible angel investor and also an investor in the ecosystem um you know pretty much you've invested with the who's who of this space as well alongside from a lot of your investments in this capacity um so love to get your perspective of like from an investor standpoint what do you look for in nft projects that you support and align
0: it's a great question. Um, it always comes down to uh first and foremost, who is the entrepreneur and the person behind the project? You know, um, are they looking to build a lifestyle business or are they looking to build something much bigger? Because when you're a venture capitalist, um, while there can be fantastic businesses that make a few million dollars a year in revenue that are run by a handful of people and those are those are those are great. There's no no shame in that at all. Venture outcomes are in the are in the, the when you talk about the the billions of dollars, right? That that's that's what VCs play for, um, and that's what your LPs, your investors, are also asking of you. And so, you know, we look for products and projects and entrepreneurs that are are wanting to go and just absolutely dominate a space. And that's why when we raise we raise a very small round of funding. I'm a partner at True Ventures, and True put a little bit of funding into um, what we're doing over at Proof. And there were two reasons I wanted to do that. We didn't need the money we were fine with the proof collective pass raise and all that stuff the reason i want to do it is um one i think true has fantastic resources that we could tap into from just a legal standpoint and their their whole thing i could get into that but I i'm not here to pitch the whole firm but um the the, the main the, the other main important signals i think that vcs can bring is that when you see an organization as venture backed and especially in defi um, it gives you a little bit of like, okay, this, they aren't going to pull out the rug from underneath me here. You know what I mean? And, and it's like with us, a hundred percent of our resources uh, that we raise from things like Moonbirds go right back into building amazing products. Like no one's getting any special bonuses or any big paydays here. And 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 people that are, are curious on on how that could a hundred percent be the case, it's like once you take money from venture capitalists, you can't do that. Um, like you have to share your financials with the VCs as part of the terms of the investment. And it's, it protects against those rugs in many ways. And so when I'm looking to kind of like, you know, try out a new DeFi protocol or something like that, and I see, oh, Coinbase Ventures is an investor, or, you know, Andreessen Horowitz, or True Ventures or these are like extra safety signals that it, it gives me as someone that's playing around with their products. So um, that, that would, would be a big signal. Um, what was the other question though?
2: What what are some of the projects that you align with? Like what what is that required, right? Like
0: yeah. So is is the as it, it has to be, you know, they're going after a very ambitious, big space where we believe that they're they can they can when they win, it's it is a large outcome. Oftentimes, we like them to be uh, early innovators in the space. So when we black um, when we backed Art Blocks, for example, they were just crushing generative art. Um, when we backed Quantum, you know, there's no bigger player on the photography NFT side than Justin Arvisano and Jonas and what they're doing over at Quantum. Um, Tribute Labs is another one that we backed. They are, they are the entire back end that powers all of Flamingo DAO, the Lao, Neon DAO, like 10 of the world's biggest DAOs are all powered uh, by Tribute. And so, you know, that tooling, like they could be like, this is a horrible analogy, but it's kind of makes sense. They could be the legal Zoom for DAOs, right? And so we see that as being a massive market if DAOs become as big as we all think they're going to be. So, you know, it's blue ocean, meaning is, is are they the first? And there's not a lot of competition, so there's a lot of room to move in and innovate. Um, how ambitious are they? are they? Are they swinging for the fences? Like when I took money from True, they said, is, it, is this, you know, is this, how big do you think this has become? And I said, we're playing to become a top five PFP utility project out there. Like we we want to be as big as the best and we're, we're going after the bigs in this space. And that's, I think that's what VCs get really excited about.
2: That's really awesome, bro. And like, I know we're speaking about a lot of the successes on the podcast here with like your success with proof your success with uh, you know, with the birds and things of that nature, but there's an opposite side of that token right which is failure and i want to dive into a little bit of that what role has failure played in your successes
0: it's the most important role by far it's the most important like failure in my mind is admitting that you've learned something new It it is that moment when you realize something didn't work and that is that is the greatest teacher you know it's like it's like, you know, if, if, if any of you had kids and I just had them for the first time just a few years ago, watching them fail is hard. It's crushing, but they, they it's, it, you can't tell them a thousand times not to do something. It's only the first time they actually slam their fingers in the door. Do they care to not do it again? And that extends into adult life. And I have failed so many times. Businesses, what, tens what, of millions of dollars What's your most
2: successful lost. failure? What's your most oh, successful dig. failure to date?
0: Dig by far. When I created the first social news site and we raised $30 million for it, we had 38 million people a month coming to the site. Failed, completely failed, down to zero. The most expensive piece that that we sold the patents for the Dig button, which is the way to that, that LinkedIn bought them because they it was a way to defend against the Facebook like button because we actually had the patent for what became the Facebook like button. And then Microsoft bought them from LinkedIn. But outside of that, I mean, we sold those for $5 million. They, they the the company had raised 30 huge failure so it's like you know i learned a ton about management i'd never fired someone before i didn't know what it was like to to uh, uh, lay people off for the first time i you know i didn't know what it was like to to vet an engineer and and I, honestly to raise your hand and say i don't know something that's a big ego hits the ego when you can say I don't know this. Like can can you help me? I was scared to ask my investors when I didn't know something. I didn't want to be made to look like a fool, you know? And and so it's all these things that when you can just let go a little bit, release like and say to yourself like I'm okay with failure. Actually, it's the greatest teacher. Then then you'll you'll get back up, you jump back up and you try again. And 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 that's 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 been the theme that I've, I've embraced as an entrepreneur. It's like, you just, if, if you're really in this one, one loss or two losses won't get you out. It'll just be ways that you refine your thinking and then, and then try again.
1: I love that. I think that's like incredibly salient advice for people who are you know looking to enter the space or, or entrepreneurs themselves or, are, you know, thinking about how they can build, um, you know, as, 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 uh, as web three sort of unfolds, you know, Kevin, you also have like a real proven track record of you know being early to internet trends, um, you know skating to where the puck is going, as they say. Um, I- I'm curious to hear your thoughts on the future of Web3. Like, what's exciting you? Like, what are some areas that you think are being overlooked right now?
0: It's a great question.
1: I would say that the things that
0: I I'm avoiding right now, and then maybe we can get into the, the more exciting things. The things that I'm avoiding, the the metaverse for me feels like it's set up for failure. Like a lot of what we've seen out there um, seems like a repeat of things that are, have already kind of petered out or not really been that successful. Um, when I saw Zuckerberg's demo of the future of the metaverse and he showed two people sitting down virtually playing chess with each other, I was like we're not thinking big enough. Like this is like I was doing that on AOL in 1997. Like that that's there's no need <laughs> that we we do this all over again, right? And and then when I play with some of these other metaverses where it's just like an endless expanse of land where you're just running around looking for something to do with no engagement and no purpose, that to me feels and then you're like, okay, how do I get my mouse cursor back? Oh, yeah, it's escape. Like, it's just like, you know, you're, it's 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 so... The, the ones that win that I think that will be the winners in the metaverse space are the ones that are either going to have a very tight purpose where it'll almost be like a game in that sense. I mean, the reason why Roblox and Minecraft and all those are... They're, they're metaverses. They're just not, you know, decentralized, and that they, they I'm sure they'll eventually get there. But the reason they're so successful is that they're purpose driven. There's like a reason to be in there that you have a you have a goal. It's a game in a sense, the, the why you're in there. Those will do quite fine. I think sandbox will do good in in that arena. That's interesting. Um, but the ones that are just kind of uh, these galleries and the, the, a bunch of people get together for ten minutes and then all disperse. Like those to me feel too open ended. And so what I'm interested in building in that space is is very focused use cases around community and Web3 that um, will have a purpose when you land in there. So it's not just about awkward floating bodies bumping into each other, if if that makes sense. And then in terms of the other things I'm excited about, um, I'm excited for a lot of the, the rough edges to be sanded down. I think layer twos on, on ETH are a pain in the ass right now. Um, We need them desperately and we need them to be two clicks or one click, not 15 clicks and waiting for things to uh, traverse across chains. And, you know, it's just,
2: you know, you got the pain points. It's like, you're so right, bro. Holy shit. Like, just like,
0: I mean, it's, it's, you, you sit there and you're like, okay, I get it. I'm doing this. I get it. But my mom won't get this. And my, my, you know, anybody else that isn't as geeky as I am, which there are sh- which is 99% of other people out there you know and
2: people who don't have the patience for that because oh, right? yeah. we've been we we've been so conditioned for one click logins. We've been so conditioned for like Apple Pay, for example, just pay with your face, that type of situation, right? Like it migrate, like going from Uniswap to then transfer to then polygon, they're waiting for the swap and then to Solana and then coming back, and then like, yo, it's just it's real, bro. The pay points yeah. are real. You you bring up some excellent points.
0: I will say the one thing that is awesome about that is that that just means we're early, which is great. And that means yep. there's a lot of upside still to be had because the masses haven't come yet. As much as yep. we think they yep. have in the sense that Coinbase has X number of millions of accounts and that they're buying Bitcoin and ETH and all of that, that's great. But like the real usage and utility of the blockchain hasn't really fully hit yet. So that, for me, is exciting. and And I hope we get there sooner rather than later. I think we're probably another three years out. Of really just like refining this stuff to where it can finally get into a usable state where consumers will be like, oh, and you know who's doing a good job of this is well, I, I, I love seeing what Square is doing. I think what well, they're called Block now. I think I think they're great technologists that also understand that things need to be really simple. Like I paid someone the other day, um, I was just giving them a tip, you know, and I was in I was in the Square app and I opened it up, and it was like, oh. Actually, I can just tip them in Bitcoin. And, and it literally was just like a, a button that you tapped. It was like cash or Bitcoin. I'm like, and I didn't even have any Bitcoin. I was like, oh, yeah, I'll give them the $5 in Bitcoin. I didn't have my Bitcoin in Square, you know? And so I, I just tapped on it and it instantly just made that happen. And they received their very first Bitcoin. And the guy's like, whoa, I'd never, I'd never done the Bitcoin thing before. Cool. And that just onboarded a new user. Like that is, that. that's magic. You know, that, that's the simplicity
2: that we need this, this place to be at you said it, the word magic, right? Like what's that phrase? Like technology is just a way of making magic make sense, like of it, right? Thinking, bringing it to reality. And so like, I know you touched on the biggest challenges um, on, on the on-chain stuff, but we'd love to see how, like what are some of the challenges that you're seeing from, for, for NFTs and how can we overcome them for mainstream adoption?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, the gas wars are real. they 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 will be on the most popular drops i mean the botting stuff that we chatted about is real um in terms of nfts i think that we're going to rely heavily on people that are helping on the curation side and 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 really truly have a point of view like it we're it's going to become easier to mint nfts not harder i mean solana you can do it for a few pennies and a few clicks right and now we have integration into OpenSea. And we've seen what Polygon has done in terms of the airdrops are coming to our random wallets. And we're just like, I didn't even want that. And now it's in my wallet, right? <laughs> so it's going to get easier for them to move around and easier for them to be minted, um, which is fantastic, but it also leads to spam problems. Um, and it's going to, everyone armed with Photoshop is now an artist, an NFT artist. And so, you know, how can we, um, cut through the things that are really important and, and it, whether it be projects and, and people that are building or individual artists and highlight their, their amazing take on, on, on art. And so, yeah, it's a, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of pain to be, to unpack there and in, in that whole space, but we'll, we'll, we'll see how it unfolds. I think super Rare is doing some really interesting things with like their curation boards and allowing kind of traditional art galleries to come on board and create dedicated little spaces where they can showcase their famous picks and like I think the world's going to need more of those trusted advisors in this space because when you have people that come on they're like oh a buddy told me about this PFP it's you know flying kittens 4 or whatever and they go on there and they they spend 2 grand and then they're worth uh, you know 50 dollars the next day or less they're like oh crap I'm never playing with this NFT thing again so there needs to be trusted people like yourselves and others that are coming, that are helping educate
1: and, and, and help helping people avoid a lot of the stuff that's going to be coming. hundred percent. You know, the last thing we want as, you know, big believers in in the future of this is a, a repeat of what happened with the ICOs in 2017, 2018, where, you know, so many good people were burned and, and left the space with a bad taste in their mouth and really set back, I think, you know, mainstream adoption on that front. Um,
0: but this is all cyclical stuff. Like, I feel like it's, we're, we're Anytime you're in a new market like that, there's so much excitement, and, and people see it, that they rush in with capital. And so we saw this in Web1 back in the day. I mean, I was a, a youngin' back then, but I do remember it, and I was, I was there watching it all unfold. And, um, you know, in 2000, everyone was pouring in every dollar they had into the future of the web, right? And 98% of them went out of business. But guess what? eBay, PayPal, and Amazon, they all came out of that you know, and they're massive companies now. So there's, and, and then web two, we kind of got it a little bit more, right. It was like a lot more thoughtful about the deployment of capital still had a lot of failures, but got some big businesses out of that. And so, you know, we're going to see, we're going to see similar type waves here. where ton of interest, ton of capital, ICO style markets, a lot of them go away. And then we learn and rinse and repeat, you know?
2: Yeah. Do you remember the days where it was like, your parents just to tell you not to put your credit card number online or like oh, don't yeah, click because... on the ads. Remember those days? Remember? Oh, like, absolutely.
0: Like, yeah. It was, there was a big scare. Well, I remember when like people I tell my parents about Amazon and they're like, wait, you put your, you store your credit card on with them. Like no way anybody's doing that, you know?
2: Yeah, and like you're showing the last four digits of my number on the web, like the four right. digits. Oh my God! Right, like I remember that bad. I remember my dad scolding me one time because I I accidentally clicked on a advertising on it, and he's like, "You're gonna the, the whole computer is gonna be malware, disconnected from the internet right now." So I was like, what? "Oh, for sure." <laughs> like, yeah, like where are you downloading your software from? Like
0: it was like <laughs>
2: Kazaa, bro, Kazaa, LimeWire. That's for sure. Right, like, that <laughs> full of viruses. Yeah.
0: Yeah, 100%. for sure. LimeWire and all those other ones that were out there. Oh man.
2: Speaking speaking of P two P, like, what advice do you have for community builders in the Web three space?
0: It, it's it's a good question. I, I think that you kind of have to start with a a niche of of like minded individuals, and then and then grow from there. So like, find your voice, find your unique take. When I be the people, many people don't know this, but. Before I started the Proof Collective, what I did is I, I opened up a little private discord um, that was just for friends. and i I, I didn't know Discord. I was not a, a hardcore gamer using it prior to that. And so I went in and just did the deep dive, late night, like understanding what are these these bots that you can add to it, like what can I do that's different here? And then I started becoming friends with some of these artists that you know, I'd collect their pieces and tell them how much I love with their artwork and I'd buy, invite them in. And so it quickly grew to 20, 30 plus artists Like, and then they become more kind of household names. And then I launched the Proof Collective on top of that. And I said, artists, you don't have to leave. You're here. If you're an artist, you're always welcome. You get in for free because you're an artist. And then I was able to bridge and have actual conversations happen between top tier artists in the collective directly with with the consumers that were buying their art or that were interested in their art. And so it was like, it was very small when it first got got going, you know? So it's if you're doing it from a place of passion, even in your darkest hours, you will still love to do it. And so, you know, the reason that we talked about this, like I sold all my proof collective passes because I never thought they were going to be worth that much, but I loved mingling with the artists. It was so much fun to have a conversation with these artists. Like if you could, I remember um, just just chatting with like uh, Dmitri Chernyak, you know, who did Ringers, and he was in the Discord just chatting. And I was like, "This is so cool! I got the Ringers guy in there, and like we're having a conversation about this stuff." And um, it, it was it came from a, pa- a place of passion, and so I didn't even pay attention to the price of the collective the collective badge. I didn't care if it was a one ETH or a quarter of an ETH or half ETH. I was doing it because I was making new friends, and so if you're building community, just make sure you're not trying to like, oh, I'm going to do an alpha group about this, and I, you know, it's like, where's where's your true passion? It when, when there's a when there's a, a a nuclear NFT crypto winter, and and prices are one third what they are, which you know, it's a very lumpy market out there, NFTs and crypto in general. So obviously, we'll go through these cycles. Are you still going to show up with the same amount of passion? That you have today for it or is it just because the prices are pumping and so you know ask yourself that question when you're building your new community is this something that is like something i would be a part of even if even if it wasn't
1: tied to a financial outcome and if the answer is yes then you're you're in a really good place love that love that i'm curious to hear your thoughts too as a you know an avid collector in the space someone who was clearly you know obviously early um when it came next copy to, like, to, uh, yeah i'm oh, sorry yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> love love that yeah but also on, on the generative side and 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 like so i always think back to like that triangle that that supion posted with like the nft money flow like collectibles to generative to one of one art and i'm curious to hear like where where do you see sort of like the the, the money flow how do these how do how does this how do these sort of different areas of of art crypto art generative art etc kind of interplay in the market in your eyes oh man that, that's a really tough
0: question. I'm gonna I have a horrible answer for you, which is I honestly collect what what I'm really drawn to. So when I think about it, like I play in all of those different markets, and it's it's largely because I found something that when the prices are down or half or a quarter, I'll still be happy to have it on my digital frame and the wall at some point, you know? And I think a lot of mistakes that are made or people that if they they get knocked down by a third and then they're like I'm out and they sell something off and then you know the market rebounds and and it starts to appreciate a particular piece of art and then all of a sudden you know they they missed out because they sold sold too soon like I was buying NFTs I remember um when when Fidenza's dropped and they were just the floors were just a couple eth and People had made, you know, their two X and they were out, and they were like, and they they just they were they're flipping it, and I was just like, no, this is a long term hold. This is a very important piece. These are the very first generative pieces that look like actual art. This is Tyler Hobbs. Like, what are you doing? And so, you got to do your due diligence and do your deep dive on who these artists are, the code involved, like who they're going to be long term, and then and then push him with that conviction. And then lock it up forever. That's that's my take. And 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 that's so I very rarely sell, um, just because I I I think we're in such early days here, I I can't I can't bring myself to want to want to sell a, sell a piece. You know, it's it's very very tough if I love the artist. And so I, I buy across all those. Fun- in terms of where the money is flowing, um, you know, it's so funny that varies week to week, doesn't it? Like you see like a hot PFP pop, and then all of a sudden you know, X copy does something and that blows up. And then, you know, there'll be a new mechanic that comes out that no one's ever thought of. And that is explosive. And then utility starts getting, it's it's like, there's, it's so hard to predict. I try not to play that game. I rather just like, I, I, the things I look for are, you know, either artists I just really love or people that are doing novel things, like something that hasn't been done before. And it's being done for the very first time. I think that things that will hold and, and hold a place in history as being the the first in something, like I love Chromey Squiggles for that reason, right? The very first Project Zero on Art Blocks, like I think those are like that was an amazing drop, and so I I, I hold those and like early X copies. Like I think in in five years or less time, we'll, we'll quickly understand that this is the the Banksy of the digital world, you know, and so. There's, there's certain pieces there, and, and but everybody's different. Matt Kane, like what a crazy awesome artist. Literally writes his own software to create the art. Like his brushes are his code. Doesn't use Photoshop, doesn't use Illustrator. Like codes his own brushes from scratch. Like mind-blowing stuff. Like that, that's the stuff I'm really attracted to.
1: Love that. I love that. Um, well, look, you know, as we kind of bring things to a close, I know you've got, you've got Moonbirds coming April 16th. Um, any kind of final words or remarks, anything you wanted to speak to us to that or what you have coming up? Um, in addition to that, it's a good question.
0: I, I, you know, I, I think that, um, this drop is going to be crazy. It's, I I think the only thing to, to really, um, note that is, it's not lost on us. Um, the expectations that we have around proof, the the collective and what we're building. And we're being very thoughtful to hire the absolute best talent to work on everything that we build going forward. And so, you know, I've I've been very fortunate to have had um, a great run in terms of like investing and all these other things. And so when I think about what we want to build here, um, we're kind of swinging for the fences here. We're, we're going for, we want to be a top five PFP and we we think we can get there by doing some things that people have never expected or seen before. And that's what gets me out of bed in the morning. That's what gets me so excited about this is, yeah, Justin and uh mazel and the art is just gorgeous stuff but more than that and then on top of that it's it's how we extend it that i think people are going to be shocked by so um more to come on that front but uh i, I hope uh y'all will just join us for the adventure it's going to be a fun multi-year adventure to get to where we want to be
1: there it is yo well Matt,
2: clear my meetings bro i'm not doing anything that day man
1: april <laughs> 16th yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll wipe it clean yeah you can't be distracted on that day um, well, look, Kevin, I uh, appreciate you coming on today. Um, great, great chatting and, uh, yeah, I look forward to continuing the conversation and, and seeing where everything you're building grows.
0: Thank you all. And thanks for putting out the great content. Like I, I, I truly believe and the reason why I wanted to come on your show. is like, there's a handful of shows out there that are trying to, you know, educate and, and entertain and, and, and do the things in the right way. And so, you know, um, I, I think that we need to be pushing this space forward in a way that, that isn't just about, you know, I think there's no, sh- there's no shade being thrown at people that wanna make money in the space, but like it has to be done in a responsible way, in a way that um, you know, puts the emphasis on, on, on really artists, proper artists, proper projects, not just the shiny object of the day.
1: And so I, I, I appreciate um, you all participating in that, that conversation means a lot. Really appreciate that. And we're, we're building this space together. So let's do it responsibly. Awesome. Thanks, guys. All right. Thank you, Kevin. Wow. That was quite a conversation. Uh, where to start? Ollie, what stood out to you? <laughs> what? didn't stand out. I think
2: the most important thing for me that really stood out from coming from my coaching background is really how deep he went into his failures, right? And like how important failures were to his successes, going into dig and losing $30 million to then just consistently going into moving forward, right? As so many other people would have been shut down, like that complete failure could actually, in one way or another, freeze you, right? And you just see Kevin just navigated so so full of grace and actually not only grace but giving back right to become an investor You have to be able to believe in others, right? As much as you're believing in yourself. And I also love that he has been an incredible advocate about bringing value to the NFT space, right? Making sure that he backs legitimate projects, making sure that he's outspoken around innovation and the copycats and things of that capacity. So just loved loved his energy. I'm super excited for this new project that's launching on April 16th. I'm also just bullish on Kevin Rhodes on all things.
1: Likewise, likewise. Yeah, I really loved his perspective on the metaverse. I loved his perspective, too, on um, on his collection and, and, and collecting and, and investment ethos, you know, as someone who, uh, who also errs on the side of long term hodling and, uh, and collects with conviction. A lot of what he said about, um, you know, what he looks for and the, the early X copies and, and that like, like really resonated uh, with me and, and, my, and my thoughts as well. Um, so it was just really cool to, um, to, to get his perspective on, on so many different subjects. Um, He's clearly, uh, you know, figured out and cracked the code on creating value uh, for his community in Web3 and uh, excited to see where he takes it. Um, So, yeah, thanks for listening. Appreciate you all. And we'll catch you next time on the NFT Now podcast.